Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Frame and Sequence podcast. My name is Todd Rittendero, and in this episode, I sit down with Yolanda Edwards. Yolanda is the editor-in-chief of YOLO Journal, her gorgeous new travel magazine, which I highly recommend getting your hands on. She is also the creative director of WM Brown Magazine, and she's the former creative director of Condonass Traveler. I first met Yolanda exactly a year ago today as I record this intro, but I've admired her work and her personal taste for a long time, so this episode was a real treat for me. She shares a lot of great stuff in this episode, among which is her experience in legacy publishing and what makes YOLO Journal a different kind of travel magazine. She shares some of her thoughts on what makes a good travel story and what makes compelling travel photography, and we get into much, much more. I was very inspired by my conversation with Yolanda, and I hope you enjoy. Well, hey, Yolanda, thank you for sitting down with me. I really appreciate this. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this has been a a podcast a year in the making because I first met you a year ago in a chateau in Bordeaux, which was a, (laughs) I don't get to say that very often. I don't get to say that very often. I don't either. And what a difference a year makes. I think you were just telling me about your magazine at that party in Mm -hmm. the chateau. And last night was another launch events for Yellow Journal, which is incredible. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, a year ago... I, when I met you, it was literally the last day of my employment at Condé Nast. And it wasn't just like, oh, this is a bummer because I lost my job. It's like, no, this is a bummer because there will never be another job in legacy publishing again. Pretty sure about that. And so I was like, I feel like there will be something exciting, but I don't know. And I'm just going to have to fake it till I make it and pretend (laughs) like everything's okay and I'm confident. But who knows i might what if i have to move home like i always get this like my go-to anxiety is like i'll just be moving in with my parents (laughs) it's like how can i be and at this stage of my life and i'm still like i have to move home but i do have that and yeah and then last night we had a party for matt's magazine and my magazine so it's I love that. Yeah, Full which circle. is incredible. Full it's circle. Amazing. Yeah. And what a beautiful magazine it is. I mean, that first Thank issue you. is stunning. Thank for you sure. so yeah. much. I'm excited for the rest. Yeah, there's so much I'd love to get into, if that's okay. That's uh, great. So you, where is home for you originally? Home, where did you grow up? Home now is Brooklyn. Home where I grew up for my first 10 years was Tacoma, Washington. Oh, okay. Which is kind of a, I don't know, like, I think it's better now. But when I was growing up there, it was like a bit of an armpit. And my my dad was a uh, a piano teacher. He still is a piano teacher, but mm. he was teaching at Pacific Lutheran University. And my mom, she was a stay at home mom, so okay. that's where I lived my first ten years. Then we moved to the Bay Area, and I I would say like I feel like I'm from the Bay Area because like ten to you know I went to college there as well. So oh, okay. yeah, I feel like that's where I'm from. But my roots are Tacoma. Tacoma, cool. And uh, did you travel a lot as a kid? Um, No, my parents were definitely super young when they had me and not of means. And so our travel consisted of like driving from driving the I-5 from Tacoma down to Burlingame where my dad's parents were. And if we were lucky, we didn't stay at my great aunt's house, which was kind of in the middle. And if we were lucky, I I would be like, can we please stay at like one of those motels that has like the pool? Right. And so it would, because we would drive down I-5 and you would just see like 
those pools that um, that was like the only thing that would glow off the side of the highway was like that blue pool and it just seemed like so cool so like that was like the other right and that was like what and we did it a couple times we st- we'd stay and I would swim in the pool and I remember it was like the only time I was ever allowed to have sugar drinks because <laughs> we could go and like get like an old time lemonade out of the the um the machine and, oh, yeah. and I was just fascinated by like ice machines and soda pop and swimming pools and I don't know. It yeah. was just like I didn't I didn't know about hotels. So for me, like my travel, my kind of wanderlust starts from that. Right. Really like from it's very basic. <laughs> it's like <laughs> uh from a interstate highway and then looking at like basically motels. Right. As like <laughs> that's goals. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Some of my earliest travel things are associated with those things too, like that sound of the ice machine mm-hmm. or the overly bleached white towels yeah. in like a motel. Yeah. <laughs> like that smells yeah. like to me means totally. vacation, which is such <laughs> right. a weird association. Right, right. Did you already always know you wanted to go into publishing or what interested you about that no, field? I mean I think like when you don't grow up with parents that or parents' friends or like I wasn't surrounded by people that had jobs that seemed like they were interesting to me like i i mean my parents friends were i don't know they were they my parents are very involved in their church and so i just sort of looked at them like they were churchgoers i didn't really my and my parents didn't identify people by what they did mm. so it, i just didn't grow up in that culture of like oh so and so is coming over you know he does such and such and she does this and that so i just didn't grow up like like that it's so the opposite of how what our lives are like today where people are so identified like you know mary's coming over she does x and right. he does y and and so i think it, in a way, like I really had to find my way. There was no, clearly, there was no digital and social media. There was no way to to find this other world. So I was, I think I was just a huge seeker. So, like when I got to high school, I made friends with some people whose parents were really, like one set of parents. My friend Tara McKinley, her dad was a watch collector. Oh wow. Is a watch collector and a Jaguar collector. And he had like these people had a three car garage. And this for me, like growing up in a duplex, I was like, three car garage? <laughs> it's not shared. Like I was always I, I don't know where it came from, but I always had this kind I I've I feel like I've been this aspirational person since I was like five. Mm-hmm. So I'm an OG uh, <laughs> <laughs> climber. <laughs> and um, and so these people like taught me about travel and watches and cars and the finer things in life. And then I had this friend, Stephanie Schrader, who actually came to the party last night. Oh. And her parents were into food. And also into Jaguars. So Jaguars like play this like, like formative part of my like youth was like, I need to have a Jag at some point. Right. Still don't have it. Will have it. Still on the radar. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, but Stephanie's parents, like they cooked out of the silver palette cookbook. I had never seen anybody cook out of a cookbook. And it was like dog-eared with like 
I don't know if people, if we had post-its then, but it's in my head there were post-its right. or bookmarks <laughs> or dog ears or something. And it was greasy and splattered. And they, they talked about what will we eat tonight? And then they would cook what they wanted to eat. And, and it was like a conversation. And I was like, oh my God, this is like, I've never been around this. Like we just right. ate what was in the fridge or I don't know. It just, my mom had things she made, but it wasn't like this big to do about it. And then they taught me about like probably the first meal I had in my life that felt like a big moment. We went up to go to have a taco at La Taqueria in San Francisco. And they were like, okay, we're going to this place and this is what we're ordering. And it's a taco carnitas. And then you get the cheese on top. I mean, when I think about it now, it's so like not authentic, but (laughs) cheese on top and guacamole or the it wasn't even guac it was it was avocado chopped up and it was like the best thing i ever tasted in my life i still think it's like the best taco even if like a purist would say like why would you put cheese or whatever (laughs) and then we walked outside and there was a protest going on and jesse jackson was there and the whole it was packed mission street and every the whole crowd was just saying like arms raised, like, si se puede. And I was like, I feel so alive. Like, what is this? <laughs> what is this world out here of like tacos and Jesse Jackson and si se puede? And right. I was like, I, I don't know. I think it was like the moment that changed my life. Wow, that's interesting. So yeah. how did that change your perspective? Or what did it I just think like it, it, it was like I had, I had a feeling there was a life outside of my kind of provincial life in Burlingame, California. Mm-hmm. And and then I saw it. It was like, there are people that are not like me out there in the world, and I want to go be around those people. And then is that what made you want to go to school in the Bay Area as well, being around that? Well, no, I think, I mean, the way I ended up um, staying in the Bay Area was because I wasn't a great student. I was, I, I kind of... I think that before I started traveling, I started like traveling in my head through like, well, I can dress the way I want to. And so I would like go to Salvation Army and find things like that, that seemed like the person I wanted to be. I think I, I had seen some movie or seen some visual of like a woman who wore like pencil skirts and you know like little little you know stilettos and what I had this kind of like I was going to be mod right and then I saved up my money my dad taught me how to teach piano so I mm. taught piano to little kids and like the wealthy communities of Burlingame and Hillsboro and all of that area and so I made money and I got a Vespa And then my first car I got was a Citroen. So I was like this kind of Europhile from a young age. I also remember somehow I got introduced to, it was like a paper version of, like a newspaper version of women's wear. Mm. Um, And I think they called it W. I remember it folded out like a huge newspaper and I would turn the ads into um, posters on my wall. So my walls were like plastered with David Bowie and like Calvin Klein ads. And my dad would tell me to take the Calvin Klein ads down because they were too suggestive. <laughs> it was like Bruce Weber shooting Josie. And she had like her like top button of her white jeans undone. Right. And like the shirt was showing too much. And he was like, that needs to come down. And I'm like, 
why it's everything <laughs> yeah but um but then yeah basically my my first trip to go anywhere that was actually somewhere other than the california and the and that drive or california oregon washington was i went i was invited by the mckinley family and they they said well why don't you come to europe with us so i I said, great, I'll come meet you guys because they were going to be on a cruise before I met up with them. Mm. And um, these people I taught piano to said, well, we have relatives in in Paris and you can go stay with them. And then from there, you can make your way down to go see your friends. So I had it all set up. It was meant to stay with these people. And then I get to Paris and I've never experienced jet lag. So I get off this flight and I... I don't know how to use the phone. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm completely clueless. I, I, I don't even, maybe I had an address. I don't know what, it, I, I don't know how it happened that I basically just got in a taxi and said, take me to a cheap hotel. And they brought me to a hotel <laughs> that I've since looked up and it's not there anymore, but, but it was a total dump. And I just, I never hooked up with those people. I spent five days wandering around Paris oh and God. and then got on a train and went down to Brindisi where I caught the ferry and went to Athens and met up with my friends. Somehow, I don't even know how these things happen without cell phones, <laughs> right. but somehow it did. I just don't. I, and, it's so perplexing to me. Like, did I send a wire? Like, I don't know what I did. It was so It's so weird that it all worked out. I know. That's so fun. How old were you that trip? I was I was 16. Oh, wow. Yeah. I turned 17 on that trip. What an incredible. So I was a <laughs> junior. A incredible first trip. And I just can't trip. even believe that my parents let me do that. <laughs> I'm like, thank God they they were checked out and they didn't think about it. So. And so did you did you just full on catch the travel bug at that point? Or were you oh, overwhelmed yeah. with the trip? No, I, I was like, I need this to be my life. This is it. Yeah. Yeah. Very From cool. then on, it was, and then the next year I ended up going back, and I was like, I said to my same friend who I went with, let's let's rent an apartment in Mykonos because I loved Mykonos. Mm-hmm. This is 1986, and Mykonos was so cool then. It's not the Mykonos today. Like I don't think I could ever go to Mykonos today. Yeah, I mean. I, you know, no disrespect to people who love it. It's just like when you've gone somewhere when it was like the heyday, and I'm sure people who went there in the 70s would be like, are you kidding? 1986, it was already over. <laughs> but but for me, it was magical. It was just like, it was just heaven. And so we rented an apartment, stayed there for a month. I remember the rent was $800 and we split it. And then I went on a program in Kalimnos after that, mm. and I was there for about four months. Wow. Yeah. How incredible so. at that age to travel like that, too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when you got back and you knew you wanted to make travel your life, what was sort of your next move or thought? You know, I think like it just was because I was teaching piano, I, I had this like income, but nobody, was te- nobody took piano lessons in the summer. So I had this job that supported me all year, except for in the summertime. So it was like this kind of perfect thing. I'd go to school, I'd work, and then I would go see friends who I'd made that lived in Florence, and it'd spend like 
most of July or August with them, and then I'd travel from there. Yeah. So. Wow, incredible. But there's still, like, I think about it that I went to these places over and over, like, I've never been to so many countries. And so, like, I may have, like, a deep dive into some places, but then I feel like, how have you never been to, like, I mean, countless countries. Right. And continents. Yeah. <laughs> and then I start to feel like a travel fraud. <laughs> <laughs> Were you documenting any of these travels, photography or writing or anything? You know, I think back then I was taking pictures. I have to ask my mom because they were all print pictures yeah. where they are. But no, I really became more of a travel, uh, like a documenter, more, I don't know, I would say like when we had our daughter, who's now 16, then I really started documenting. Mm-hmm. And I I think it also was like, I was so, when you know you're in transit, you're like, oh, I'll probably move in a year. Like, you just don't want to have too many things collected. Right. So I don't think, I like, I, I had journals from high school, and then I started making journals when probably... I don't know. Maybe when I met Matt, I started some. Mm-hmm. I would like keep all of the notes he gave me. I still have those notebooks. But then I really started like documenting place probably about 16 years ago. Wow. And how did you end up in publishing? So my first job, I worked in publishing. So like basically I graduated from Cal, um, from Berkeley in 91. I ended up with my major was comparative literature which was related to Greece because I fell so in love with Greece that I wanted, I thought I was going to move to Greece, be a teacher, and that was going to be my life. Yeah. And so I, my major was English lit, and then my minor was modern Greek. So I graduated, there were no jobs, there wasn't a job immediately in Greece, and so I started running, I had a boyfriend who owned a nightclub, and in San Francisco. And so I would go there and I would do like, I'd come up with party ideas. Mm-hmm. So like, it's oddly enough, like we would do VIP room parties with people like Surface Magazine, which had just started. Right. Um, and it was like the Surface Magazine VIP room. And it was just a fun thing to kind of like make up reasons for people to come out. I would do the invites. I would come up with the concept. And it was like, and then I would go out and try and get people to come. I mean, it's not that different from making a magazine. It was just like an in real life kind of event. Mm -hmm. So I was doing that and I came to New York for like, I don't know, I think it was just to see friends. And I, I think, yeah, maybe I had broken up with my boyfriend or whatever. I just like needed a break. And I went to New York and I, I remember being in, um, Agnes B in the dressing room and some woman started talking to me and she was like, Oh, you live in California. Oh, like, I don't know. She asked me to coffee and I went to coffee with her and she was like, you're so great. You should come to this dinner party tonight. There are going to be all these girls that work at Vogue. And I remember hearing like Vogue, like, (laughs) Oh my God, I could meet somebody who worked at a magazine. Like that's crazy. Like, you know, I'm like a girl from nowhere. So I go to this dinner and next thing I know, they're like, you seem like you should work at a magazine. Like, they're they're hiring for a position at L. <laughs> and the next day, I get a phone call on the answering machine of my friend saying like, hey, will you come in for an interview? And basically, I went in 
the interview was very like, oh my God, where'd you get that shirt? Where'd you get those pants? It was so ridiculous. <laughs> and I got hired. Amazing. And so I stayed in New York and I worked at L for a year. And that was like in the good days when it was like, you know, it was like the supermodel days. Right, right. Um, this is like early 90s. And I did that for a year making 18 grand. I've never looked better. Like, you you know, you make so little money <laughs> that you eat like a half a burrito one night and the second half the next night because you're like, got to make it last. Totally. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, I did that. And then after a year, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I moved back to San Francisco, ran the nightclub for a year, and then I got a job working in LA, I worked for Guest Jeans for a bit. And then I met Matt and I moved to New York for him. And I got a job at Traveler as a like a kind of junior photo editor. Wow. And and that was my first like real like the beginning of I would say who who I am in my works my sort of work life. Right. Um so that was that. Wow, incredible. Uh was there a specific editor that ended up becoming a mentor for you? Let's see. I mean, there were so many at Traveler. Like, it was such an amazing team. Like, this was the team that founded Traveler. So, yeah, I mean, it was was a great story. It was started by Harry Evans. And he, um, you know, he's the one who's married to Tina Brown. And he, she had come over to do Vanity Fair. And then he got hired to start Traveler. And the idea was, like, at the time there were so many of these travel magazines or I don't know if there were so many the story goes because I wasn't paying attention then that there were so many travel magazines and he was like they're all getting everything for free and um, how can anybody trust these magazines so we're going to start this magazine and the tagline will be truth and travel which is basically we don't take anything for free we don't announce who we are. We, we're incognito. Yeah, and that was the premise of it. And so everybody who worked there kind of like that was that was the whole wow. the whole mantra of the place. And I loved the way they approached their visuals. It was like, well, we're going to use Helmut Newton or Philip Lorca de Corsia, or they were working with David LaChapelle and the photo director, Kathleen Clutch. She was amazing at, at that. Like, they were really visionary. And, and then I think that what happens is, like, over time, like, the whole advertising world changed. Right. And I think that at a certain point, the pendulum kind of swung into where the advertisers had more power than the than the actual magazines. And they were able to say things like, well, you need to do these kinds of stories or we need to, you know, basically we, we have to have clothing credits. We have to have cruise companies. We have to have all of this. And, and I think like that's, that sort of became the way that business was done. And, and so I think what, you know, this amazing team, they were such visionaries and they, I, I, I still think so highly of all of them. It's just what happens, I think, to any of us is after a certain point, like you need new blood. And so I ended up going, I only was there for several years. And then I was, I when I left Tom Wallace, who was the editor in chief at the time, he made me a contributing editor, which was like 
such an honor. I actually had a contract and it felt so wow. like special about that. And then the, the, the strange thing that basically, I don't know how many years, almost, almost, I don't know, eight, 15, 18 years later, I guess, something like that. I went back and basically had to be the new blood that went in, which was really horrible to <laughs> basically go into a place where you loved everybody and yet you had to be like the agent of change. So it was like kind of your worst nightmare. Like, right. I, I love you. I totally respect you. And I have to fire you like that. Is, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Yeah. Wow. What a tough position yeah, to be in for sure. Really horrible. <laughs> Sorry. There's a few things that just popped in my head. But before I forget this, when when what is the difference between a photo editor or travel editor and a contributing editor. Okay, so so a photo editor is basically the person who is, is is meeting with photographers all the time and is is then deciding when an when an editor like when a travel editor or depending on the magazine like you have the editors who come who are responsible for coming up with the stories. So they come to a meeting with the photo editors and the art directors and they say, well, I have a story about say Mexico city and I want it. And, and the approach we're going to do is it's about the nightlife and the food scene of Mexico city. So then the art director might say, well, I'd kind of like it to look like X, Y, and Z mm. and then, or the creative director depend you know, the art team. And then the photo editor will say, oh, well, you know, I just met with such and such photographer, or why don't we just use, you know, too often it's, let's just use so-and-so because they're always good <laughs> and it's a no brainer and it's a known quantity right. um, and a known entity. And, and that was as a photo editor, what was so interesting to me is that I, because I was junior, so I would often get the nobody photographers would come in and I would meet with them mm. because like the higher up photo editors were too busy to meet with people. So I was like, well, I'll meet with them. If, and, you know, they'd send their portfolios in the at great expense. I mean, imagine like how much it costs to send like several pound, maybe, I don't know, they were probably at least 10, maybe 15 pound portfolios. Yeah, I remember those things. Yeah, and <laughs> send them via FedEx or through a messenger. And so like photographers had to like send that to hopefully get you to even look at it. Many times, nobody would even look at them. I felt so badly for everybody. <laughs> so, so people would come in and talk about where they went. And often I'd be like, wait, this picture of this place, oh, it just opened? I should tell my editor. And I would tell the editor and they're like, yeah, well, that's a photographer and like we're the editors and we're the ones who come up with the ideas. And I was like, but but like you're getting your ideas from like a PR company <laughs> who's getting paid by people to tell us what to do. And like this person really was there and they have good taste, I can tell. Yeah. And so like from that moment, I just started to see like, there's something wrong with this model. Like there are people who are already out there in the world traveling and they have great taste and they actually went there. 
And yet we at the magazine are getting our information from many of, I mean, many writers were going out and doing things, but you had to pay for them to go out. So it was like this, let's spend money to send people somewhere so they can come back and tell us what's happening in the world. And, and, and we all, I mean, if I were to say to you, like, I need you to go to Kansas City, like the first thing you would do is be like, well, uh, I better find some people who are locals and and really dig deep. And it's much easier today to do that because you can like look at hashtags and <laughs> right <laughs> find like the coolest retail store there and bar and whatever. And yes, I know writers did that back then, but it just it's like you're an Insta expert because you go somewhere for five days. Like how about the person who already went there and found it and use what they found? Right. So it, it was, I, I started to see that back then and nobody really wanted to hear from me. Occasionally I was able to slip stories in. That's how I became a contributing editor. So to oh, answer okay. that part of it, a contributing editor is somebody who works on the outside and maybe they get a contract. Today, nobody has contracts, really, um, because there's no more money in publishing. But back then, there were often fat contracts. And and today, I would say contributing editor probably makes like, just they get paid for what they do. Gotcha. If they get paid. Yeah. (laughs) You know, yeah. And then, so at some point, you were the creative director, correct? So, So I left Condé Nast Traveler. I went to go be a photo agent for like two years and oh, wow. I was terrible at it, but I learned a lot. It was a good, it was a good, a good try to go to leave publishing. And then I came back and I worked at W and I loved working at W. I worked with a great creative director, Dennis Friedman. And then I ran into a friend who had gone to college with, and she was brought in to develop the idea of starting a magazine called Cookie, which was a parenting lifestyle magazine. And then it got approved, got funding, and I went with her to do that. And I said, listen, I don't want to be just a photo editor. Like, I'm kind of tired of being locked into that. Like, I really want to do, I I really want to write about travel. And this is a parenting magazine. So why don't we like make it so I can travel with my kid. That will be our version of truth and travel. Mm -hmm. And so it was like the sweetest gig ever, like traveling with my kid. And yeah, it was amazing. (laughs) So Cookie lasted just under five years and then Condé folded it in 09. It was like that year they closed. I mean, they closed Gourmet the same day they closed Cookie. Oh, right. it was sad to lose Cookie, but it is a national tragedy and the, for people who love magazines oh, yeah. that they closed Gourmet. It, I, I just, I still can't believe it. Yeah. Like only one of the most beautiful magazines of all time. It was. It was absolutely incredible. And, and, um, and so they closed Cookie, Gourmet, several bridal magazines. But earlier that year, they closed Domino, which was another one. Right. That, that was, was a huge one, too. Huge. But... This is what happens when people hire consultants like McKinsey. So they come in and they just basically decide like, well, it's under five years, take it as a loss, cut it instead of building building the brands. Right. And, They're and looking so, at it from the accounting side rather than exactly. the growth or creative side. Exactly. Or what people are actually yeah. <laughs> excited about. So then Pilar and I, just to give you the full resume, Pilar and I then launched, we did some 
consulting, not McKinsey style creative consulting. (laughs) But we, we did some of that. And then we launched a kind of mom site called mom filter. But we launched that and literally the day that it went live, we started at Martha Stewart. And at Martha, Pilar was the editor in chief and I was the executive editor. And we did that for several, several years until we went to Traveler. So um, we went to Traveler in 2013 and took that on. And yeah, yeah. I remember a distinct moment when you guys started up that version of Traveler because it changed Mm -hmm. dramatically. Like Mm -hmm. I just remember the fonts on the cover felt like old school European or deco and just like there was something exciting. There's a vibrance Mm -hmm. to what was going on. And Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it was really tough because we, we had been at Martha. We couldn't bring anybody from our team because we'd signed some kind of non-solicit. So it was Mm. like super tough to like, go into a place where there was so much, you know, it's, it's just super awkward to go in and have to create a new team and then, and find new people. And yeah, it was, it was intense. And to work with Anna Wintour on a weekly basis and it was <laughs> that intense. That sounds intense. All right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I want to switch gears a little bit yeah, here yeah. because one of the things that I admire about what you were doing at Comcast Traveler, and then I feel like are even allowed to explore more so in your own magazine, Yellow. It's like you just have an incredible aesthetic and taste level, and I would just love to dive into what what do you think makes a great travel story, or what do you look for in a, in a good piece? Well, I feel like what I'm looking for today is kind of this. I, I think I'm pretty pretty consistent. When I, uh, one of the things that was hard for me at Traveler is, is that model. And I feel like I've, I love all the editors I've gotten to work with, but like we would butt heads a lot. Mm-hmm. Pilar and I didn't butt heads. We, I think we're very much on the same page, but, uh, but the editors that worked at the magazines would always be like fighting for their words. And I completely get it. The words are important, mm-hmm. but I always felt like if like, people want words there are other places they're going to get like how many words do they want (laughs) (laughs) right that's a great question can we can we like sort of figure out like maybe they're going to um other places to get long reads than this and and really what do they want from travel like i think people want to kind of fall in love with visuals and then how do we really move in the in the world throughout the world i feel like if somebody tells me like you should go eat at this restaurant and and this is what's so magical about social media it's like everybody's like i can't believe you've never been to justa and i'm like yeah i haven't (laughs) i just am never on the west side and anytime i am i just go to jelena and i know like that's like embarrassing maybe or whatever I haven't done my due diligence but I'm not a food writer but but anyway I went there and then everyone's like now you have to go to mountain or MTN however you say it and so, so of course I go but like I think that that's like how people move through the world like you take a suggestion from somebody if you say you know there is this place I found when I was in Milan and like 
I just found it because I walked past it and then we were starving. So we kind of had nothing to lose. We couldn't like wait to go to the place that was on our list. And this place was actually better than anything I've ever been to. I'm like that's, that's the kind of intel that we all want. We right, want yeah. like, we kind of all wish that we had the time to be the people who could just like wander around and try things, but it's like financially and um, time-wise very prohibitive to, to co- constantly be in discovery mode. Yeah. So I sure. think we are in discovery mode through other people's discoveries. So like we're always looking for other curators to do it for us. And then maybe we find accidentally someplace nobody just on our own and then we tell people about it and then then you become the curator right yeah and speaking of that how how do you think about curating a sequence of images when you're when you're going to do a layout maybe even from back down in in the traveler days or now i mean i always feel like i know that we need to have like something you always need some kind of an establishing shot and you need some kind of like well this is this is that traveler establishing shots something that's emotional what what started to get so annoying was like the formula of like and now here's the close up and there's what the food looks like and here's happy people and here's <laughs> like you know making the bed so you can see what the room looks like and it's like well when you get into that formula, you're not actually embracing what it feels like to be there. And I think that that's the difference with what I was trying to do with this first issue of YOLO was get at like the feeling. And I would say like the place you see that the most is in a story I did with this guy, Scott Rudin, who had come in to see me when I was at Traveler. And he's like a guy who his real day job is he works at Ralph and he's like a big a big deal there and oh, wow. he's amazing but he likes to shoot film on his holiday and he's like obsessed with this kind of he has like this nostalgic for the good old Mediterranean days vibe to for his sure. work love that uh, so I ran the story on Ischia and nowhere in there was there a food shot or a overview of the island or it was just like pictures of people on beaches and I don't know some umbrellas yeah and it's one of my favorite stories and it actually doesn't have there's there's no restaurant recommendation there's nowhere to stay there's nothing and people like it I'm like that's great people like it and nobody said well, where was the hotel rack? Where's the, you know, and the, and to be fair, in the back of the book, I do a kind of hotel intel yeah. section. But like people don't need to see on the page, like what to do, what, you know, where to shop, what beaches to hit. Like they kind of just want to fall in love with the idea of going there. And then there are many, many people that they can get their information on Ischia from besides me like I am not a one-stop shop like YOLO should like make you excited and it should be something that you like but there are plenty of amazing people publications books sites and I know that everybody out there can find those things yeah so I'm not pretending to be the be-all end-all right 
I love your approach with that because I, I do feel like it brings a little bit of the romance back mm-hmm. to travel rather than just a checklist of things to hit right. <laughs> and allows for maybe some room for right. somebody to discover a place on their own. Well, think about like retail and as retail has had to really completely f- figure out like, well, what what do we do now that people can know I like to get these clothes? I like this designer. I know how they this designer fits me. So I'm just going to get everything delivered to my house. So retail's had to reinvent itself. And it's like, you know, we, well, we could take Sid Mashburn, Sid and Ann. They, they, it's like you want to go to their store because you know there will be something there that you didn't know about before. Right. And so you're like, oh, well, I wouldn't have ever had that discovery of those like beautiful beaded belts had I just like I wouldn't ever be in a site and be like beaded belt and search for it. And then the team that works there. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you think about all these kind of concept stores, which become you know, stores are editors as well. And, and they're curating this kind of experience for you. So you go in and it's like almost every store now has like the long kind of farm table in the front that's got a candle and some jewelry and some books and some magazines and hopefully a YOLO journal. And, you know, (laughs) but like, it's this kind of curatorial experience that you go into and you know that if you talk to the shop owner and say like, Hey, where's a good coffee around here? they're going to have a good recommendation. So it's almost like stores are the editors now. That's a really cool way to look at that. I yeah. not thought about that. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. I, I feel like sometimes I go into stores and I feel badly because I'm like, okay, I'm just visiting. I want that book, but I'm not going to schlep it because I, I just don't have the room in my luggage. And so I find things and... So I try if I if there's a store that I don't shop in because I don't have the space, I make sure I Instagram them. So yeah. hopefully at least I'm like letting people know, like, right. I love this place. Yeah, I actually found one of my favorite photographers through one of the articles you did on Venice and mm. finding his work has completely changed my That's personal Renato. work. How'd you know? Yep. Yeah, I mean, amazing. I saw it and I was like, oh, my God, this guy's doing exactly what I wish that I was trying to do and I didn't quite understand what I was looking for. And then I saw his work and I was like, oh my God. Yeah, he's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, his work is absolutely incredible. Yeah, his story, the Venice photographs you have in yellow are just incredible. He's so great. I think we're going to do a story with him in the next issue on Shanghai. Oh, nice. Yeah, Yeah, he's, I mean, and what I love about his work is like, it doesn't, it's not a story about Shanghai. It's just more pictures from Renato that like <laughs> yeah. people should just see. Yeah. They uh, need to live in print. Yeah. For those listening, his name is Renato D'Agostin. Is that yes. how you pronounce mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Uh, I'll throw a link in there as well. But yeah, his work is incredible. He shoots just on film for yeah. the most part, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he prints everything um, on his own. He got his start working for Ralph Gibson. Yeah. And he's like a masterful. He started as a printer and he's masterful at that. Yeah, it's truly. And, and one of the kindest people ever. So, oh, good to know. Yeah, yeah I missed him when uh, I overlapped him a bit in New York, but didn't ever get a chance to meet him. Mm. So now he's in Venice, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. So when you were first starting YOLO, did you have a kind of manifesto for it? Did you know what you wanted to do with it? Um, no, I would say it was one of those things where, I mean, I don't know. I could say no, but it's a little bit like my 
everything I've worked on my whole life sort of goes into it. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's just like, I don't know. It's, it's this thing that's everything I believe in. It's like about giving somebody who's, you know, by some people's, somebody would say giving somebody who's a nobody, but they're not a nobody. They just aren't, haven't been recognized. Like I like the idea of taking people who are not writers and interviewing them and saying like, I want that to be in, in YOLO. So my friend, Alex Postman, who helped me at the 11th hour copy edit everything. Cause oh, wow. I was like, Oh my God, I need another set of eyes on this. So she, she and I were joking. She was like, you have so many people in here who English is their second language. And I don't want to, I don't want to lose that kind of like Italianness of them. Sure. But we also need to make it so it's, it's readable. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we called it the ESL um, issue, but it really, it really was like, I want there to be things where it's like, I made a really cool winemaker from the Abruzzo who I, uh, her name is Chiara and she wrote this piece. She called it like the grand food tour. And, and I met her and I was like, Chiara, you're so, you're so into food and you're so into travel. And I bet you've got like the best kind of non Michelin star kind of restaurants to recommend. And she was like, yes, we'll do it about the terraces, the best terraces to eat at in Italy. And, and it was so fun to do that with her. And like, how would she ever have an opportunity to write for like a U.S publication she's not a writer she's a right a winemaker yeah and to be able to have something where people who don't have a platform then have a platform like i don't know i just i i feel like it's important it's imp, it's important for to give people that chance like people gave me chances i like to give people chances yeah anyway no it's great i mean i love how alive it feels that's what i think is so unique about yellow and that I think people are really responding to is it kind of has a rawness to it and an Mm -hmm. energy that is like, it just leaps off the page. Like I remember flipping through each page the first time I got it and it was, I like made a ceremony of it. I made a Negroni. Uh, Oh, (laughs) I love it. Sat down and was like, oh my God, just savoring every page. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. Um, Yeah, it's really, really beautiful work. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about your personal aesthetic. You have amazing taste. You have a very almost curated life. Is that fair to say? And is that something that you think about, like the house in France and the way you travel and where you travel? Were those all conscious decisions or did it just emerge out of your interests? I mean, I would say, I don't know. I There's a part of me that's like, I, I used to, like when I was when I was the high school kid, I sort of found my my way of like identifying who I was by like, well, I've I'm going to dress a certain way, and then I like once I made enough money, I got out of just Salvation Army kind of style, and and I remember I like went to Macy's and I bought a pair of Biblos pants on super on sale <laughs> and a Ralph Lauren silk shirt. It was like nice. the sort of first kind of like designer stuff I had, and then when I was running the nightclub and had the the nightclub boyfriend, I was like convincing him to buy me like Jean-Paul Gaultier, Yoji. <laughs> and I was like super into that. Sure. And, and I would say now I'm like more like I have a uniform. I don't, I try to like 
find ways that I find things that I don't have to think about what I'm going to wear. It's just like the pair of blue jeans that, that is super comfortable and look fine. Right. And like, you know, whatever that, like I have certain shoes that I, I never wear high heels. I'm like all about comfort, but with like a little twist, I like Venetian slippers cause they, you know, even though they have no support, I like them, but, but like, I think that I've curated myself down to where it's like, I don't want to have to worry or think too much about what I'm wearing. I have short hair, so I don't have to like spend time doing my hair. Mm-hmm. I don't wear makeup. So like, I'm pretty like low maintenance on like the personal front. And then when I think about like what I want to focus my time on, because really all this stuff is about time and we all have the same amount of it in our day. Yeah. So I want to spend my time, like I do work a lot. Like right now I would say I'm at kind of maximum capacity because I I do consulting work so that, I mean, I do consulting work full stop. Mm-hmm. I enjoy doing it, but I... I do that so that I can do YOLO without there being a financial gun to my head. Right. Because I want I want YOLO to have this time to figure out what it is. Like people will ask me, like, so what's your business model? I'm like, my business model is to make something and to see where it needs to go. Like I got a I've like created a thing. And I believe that if you create something that's really from your heart. It will, it will either really connect or it won't, but at least I did it. So I, I can say I did it right. for myself and I tried and it didn't resonate or I tried and it does. And so I, I have right now, it's sort of like doing double work until we figure out exactly where we're going with it. And I feel like on this trip, I've actually had a bit of an aha. Oh, interesting. I think I've got some ideas here. So, <laughs> but, but back to the time thing, I do feel like um, because I'm super maxed out, I, what, I, what I try and do is become very, like, well, I've always been very researched about my travel. So it's like Matt and Clara will always joke around with me like, oh, so we're like, you know exactly where we're going to stop along the way. And I'm like, it doesn't mean that we can't break off from that. But I feel like I want to know where we're having lunch because otherwise, like, you can't get into that place if if I didn't call ahead. Or, Or like maybe it closes at two and you wouldn't like you know, have stayed in that antique shop for so long if you knew you were going to miss lunch or maybe it was worth missing lunch or whatever. So I do think like I'm very, I'm very curated about how I spend my time. And so like, I feel like I, I try to, I try to just be careful about, about how I spend my day. And like right now here in LA, I was like, I'm just coming off of working a lot up in um, the Napa Valley, Mm -hmm. back-to-back meetings, like no time to do anything in uh, in my head, and and so I was like, I am going to go to LA and not be overprogrammed, and that was like a very, like, big deal for me to say. I'm not going to try and hit these restaurants. I'm not going to like tell all my friends that I'm here. Like I'm just going to be very quiet and and try and relax because i don't do that enough and i feel like i'm gonna 
lose my mind. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate you sitting down with me, giving your no, uh, this is your fun. day off. This is so, fun. Good, good. Um, yeah, I'm I'm sort of the same way, especially in Italy. I don't want to have a bad meal yeah. in Italy when you can have the best meals. Right. So exactly, <laughs> completely. Exactly. Uh, do you have a favorite place? A I know favorite... that's a, a super general question. I mean, I don't know. I feel like. I, I do think that I'm very happy in Greece. Like, Greece is probably, sorry, Italy, but um, <laughs> definitely sorry, Marie Louise show <laughs> from the Pelicano. I mean, I love Italy so much. And my friends there are like my favorite people. But I do love the kind of ease of like, it's not like I love eating a meal in Greece because the food is just so perfect. It's just like, it's so easy. Right. And that kind of lack of of conscious, like it's just like, of course, it's the Greek salad, it's some fish, it's tzatziki, it's this. <laughs> it's like, you don't even need to look at a menu. You're just like, I don't know, kind of one of everything. You have your feet in the sand. You might go for a swim, like right. while you're waiting for it to come. Like the wine is cheap. You can invite as many people as you want because, like, literally, you could have like lunch for eighteen people at like even a kind of hot spot, and it's like three hundred bucks. Right. And and you're like, how is that possible? Like, <laughs> you can eat lunch with for three people in Venice, and it's oh, two hundred dollars. Sure. And we had two beers. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's it's um it's just that's very easy. And I love I love Italy for I mean, that for me is just so much more romantic. Like Greece for me is about easy, casual, like you don't think about anything, you don't care about what you wear. Italy, you feel like the best version of yourself. You dress yeah. a little bit, you stand a little taller, you it's so true. You know, you just <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's sexy. It's, it's more, I don't know. I, I, I just love Italy. And somehow we ended up with this house in France. And uh, <laughs> seems, given the last two statements. Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, I would say French have charm down. And I, I, I love driving through France. And I, I think that the French, I don't know, the, the landscape is amazing. I I'm, don't love French food. I love oysters, but mm -hmm. I don't love I don't like a lot of the the richness of the food. Yeah. So it is weird that we ended up there, um, <laughs> but I do love the project that we did, and I think that we ended up with that project because it just was like we rent in Brooklyn. We have a house in upstate, but we've had it for so long, it doesn't even feel like a new project. It's not new. It's like 15 years old. Right. And. Matt and I wanted a project and we could afford to do like a tiny little house. Well, we thought we were getting one house, then we bought two. And and you can buy these things and they're affordable. And we thought that it was also good timing because Mimi was doing her workshops there. And then you have these, and that's Mimi Thorson mm -hmm. um, of Manger, which is how we met. Yes. And then you have the TGV that is going to Bordeaux. Right. And so it is, I, I think it's an interesting area and it feels a little bit like cotton time. And I'm a sucker for anything that's cotton time. Yeah. It's like, that's, you know. Yeah, it seems like, again, one of those areas that's, there's all these other gorgeous crumbly buildings around yeah. but if you can live in that yeah. place it's 
gorgeous, super yeah. romantic. The food is super local. The wine right. is fantastic. It's Bordeaux. Yeah, <laughs> and and it is a little bit easier, I think, than Italy, where it's it's just a little bit more close to our culture. It's not as wild west as I think Italy can be. Yeah, for sure. There's an outside chance I can get dual citizenship in Italy, which I'm now investigating, oh. and so I'm like, Matt's Matt's on that too. Oh, nice. Really... Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of lot of steps and a lot of paperwork, but um, yeah, sort of debating. Yeah, similar thing. We'd like to get just some crumbly little thing yeah. somewhere. It's yeah, just, a, a it's Abruzzo. is pretty magical. Sort of and looking has, at that. Yeah, has that. Yeah, and it's two hours from Rome. Right. So which I love and fly right into. So it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. incredible. Uh, is there any place that you haven't been that's on your uh, immediate wish list? Um, I really want to go to Transylvania. Oh, wow. I just think it's really like one of those places, like we did a story on it in, in Traveler, and a friend of mine who I used to work with ages ago at uh, W, and he was an editor who then became a photographer, and now he like writes and shoots his own pieces. His name is Chris Bagley, and he's so so talented and he had gone to Transylvania and I'd kind of sniffed it out I knew like Prince Charles and like a bunch of those kind of people who are into super organic food and and like preserving culture um had been doing some work down there and then Chris came back and was like it's amazing we should do a story and then we sent Chris had just been there as a writer and so we sent a photographer there and the images were so great. And nice. then I started following somebody on Instagram who had all these amazing linens from there. <laughs> and then like Amanda Brooks, like, you know, you just start to see like Amanda went there and she got amazing stuff. And I'm like, must get to Transylvania. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's this one photographer, God, I'm going to butcher her name. It's Lav- Lavinia yes, Chernow. Lavinia. Yes. She's incredible. I love there. her work. Yeah. yeah. She's got a story in the next issue. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. She's always super generous with yeah. commenting on my stuff. Yeah, she's great. Uh, I love her work. Yeah. How do you feel about Instagram and, and digital? Is, do you still find it inspiring? Do you still look to Instagram or is it sort of a necessary? I evil? do. I, I, I still really like Instagram. I think that, I, I think it's interesting. I, I like, I'm, I feel like the, a lot of people are so annoyed by the idea of the influencer. And I think like if we could visualize the Google image of what the influencer looks like in our head, it's, <laughs> it's probably, we all have the same one and it's like, you know, somebody who's, showing a lot of leg and you know maybe or maybe it's the back of them and it's a hat and it's a gesture and it's a you know it's a very contrived thing like look at me in this place yeah (laughs) and and i think though that there are so many that like essentially the 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 influencer that we all that we all that we like to follow those people are kind of like the new editors and i think like there are plenty of these editors out there that uh, many of them have become influencers in their own right. Like mm-hmm. take um, Adam Rappaport, like Adam has always been an influencer, but we wouldn't have called him that. You would have said, he's that cool guy who's a GQ editor. Right. And then he became the cool guy who is the Bone App editor. And then he's very clever on his Instagram, so he's also become a technically an Instagram influencer, but he's 
always been one. Yeah. And I think like that's the thing is like we just we have this word now that annoys all of us that we use, but but what is an editor in chief if not the ultimate influencer? Totally. So yeah, it's you know, very true. It's just a different platform. It's just I a different. Yeah, that's a great that's, way to look at it. I love that. Yeah. Frame. So I I like looking at Instagram because I think even when people have to support themselves, and I'm happy that they are supporting themselves from doing these like yeah. hashtag ads and whatever. Um, I think it's fantastic that Jenny Walton, who I think is an amazing Instagrammer and I love following her, like I love I love to see the joy she has from going to a fashion show because she's not a jaded fashion editor and right. she's like so giddy. It's like so palpable. You're like, I'm so happy that you are at the Marc Jacobs show and you're crying with like excitement. Like <laughs> that's so cool. Like we all need to find people who are so enthusiastic about the world and bring that kind of joyfulness and giddiness to to us because yeah. I think it's it, it I don't know finding the right people to follow mute the people who irritate you <laughs> I made the mistake of unfollowing people not realizing there was like a mute potential right <laughs> there I'm is. so sorry if I unfollowed you it was you know I love that new potential <laughs> yeah but yeah i get inspired by it i feel like if somebody comments something on somebody's and it's clever like i start going down their rabbit hole and like it's just cool to find people that you never would know ever yeah i love that yeah no it's great it's been it's it is, I suppose, that double-edged sword in some ways. I feel like it ruins the romance, but mm -hmm. I would have never found the places that I love today yeah. without it. So, yeah. yeah. In fact, there was a woman who came last night to the event um, named Elizabeth, and she reached out to me on Instagram and said, oh, I did this whole project in Brazil about Niemeyer. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I've seen a lot of Niemeyer. Like, I'm whatever. I've, I'm like, I've been around, <laughs> and we used to work a lot with wallpaper, and Niemeyer's amazing not to discount that but that's great so whatever i'll be polite though send me what you've got and she sends me these images and i've never seen these niemeyer buildings before wow. and they were so great and she was like yeah i found them because somebody on instagram and like then i was there and somebody through whatsapp was directing me and it was a guy who works for niemeyer blah 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 and i'm like this is so great. And what's even better is your story about how you found it. So we're going to put it in the next issue of YOLO. Oh, and, incredible. Because it's really about, it's, it's yeah, sure, it's about Niemeyer and these beautiful images. But it's also about, like, connections. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Is YOLO going to follow a f the format of an, an entire region or country like the first no, one? No, so I, I've kind of struggled with the idea of, like, how do I, how do I, you know, like I'm making it up as I go along, which is hopefully what makes people like it feel, make it like it feels alive because it's really alive. But I think that, you know, Holiday Magazine is so lovely. And, and I know it's definitely more fashion than it is travel, but it definitely is about, it's by the, by the region or location. And I just feel like I don't know that I have enough bandwidth to like identify, okay, so my next one's going to be France. And 
that I could probably do about five places and feel like I could do them well. Mm -hmm. But then I would start to feel like a real fraud after about five. And, and I just, I want there to be, I want to create something that has more legs than, than that. So I think that starting, but like I'll do summer issues that are targeted. Cause I also think like, you know, so I will do the next summer issue will be Greece and uh should come out like i'm going to also get better about my scheduling Mm -hmm. because i will have more time and i'm trying to be a little bit better at at all of that because yolo came together in a very last minute sort of way yeah so i want to have that come out in like mid-may so people can have it in their mailboxes before they go away and I just I feel like I know Greece really well and I could do a France one but but I want I also want to hear from people who've been all over the world and if I'm like sorry I'm only doing a Greece issue and that means you can't be in it ever right like because you went to Uzbekistan and it's cool and I love your pictures but I can't run it because I'm not going to do an Uzbekistan issue like I don't want to I don't want to alienate great content because of a geographical uh, constraint right totally Uh, with all the oversaturation of photography what do you feel like stands out to you these days within photo I feel like I'm always I definitely love film or people who shoot things that feel like film and it feels like more emotional. Mm -hmm. Like I think I really like, it should feel more like a, like a snapshot or like a moment or I I just am always drawn to like the moment. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, I love your imagery. I think that when you kind of get somebody who's like in a station or like those things really speak to me. It's so interesting to me like that I can be like so in love with your pictures. I think they need to be bigger because I think that when people see them on Instagram, they're too small and they're not like I see things small and I and I'm able because this is my job. I'm able to see them like for what they are. Like I'm not just going to breeze by it. Mm-hmm. Um but I feel like it's so interesting how on Instagram there's like the you know what's going to get like a ton of likes and then you know what's going to bomb. And it's weird to me <laughs> that like true. like the ones that are actually the strongest, like Renato has like a very low following, but he, but it's because his work is too good to be in that small screen. So it's funny it how... It is funny. The format changes things yeah. because you're absolutely right. Like I know which images of mine will do better mm-hmm. if it's a close-up or a detail yeah. or like a rustic chair it does yeah. way better than the picture that yeah. I am emotionally attached to that yes. will look better as a print. Right, yeah. exactly. So you need to do a show. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about it, so yeah. yeah. You should. Yeah, that's, uh, that's Actually, definitely that's, something I want to do. that reminds me of year. something. So there is some, um, so many people wanted to buy the cover of YOLO, like oh. to have that image like in their home. And so I have this friend, Russell, who has something called Sonic Editions. And Sonic is basically like, like he just, he he works with all these different archives. I mean, like amazing archives yeah. um, from, you know, Gamma and Paris. Like he's got like great, great stuff. We, we met him because Matt got a Hemingway photo from him that was like Hemingway making a Negroni and <laughs> so we have that in our house you and have I, to have that <laughs> yeah and I think it was something like framed maybe it was like 250 so it's like something that is so 
original and I'm sure Incredible. it's, you know, it, I, I was talking to Russell and I said, I just feel like there's so much work out there that I believe I would like to do like a, a lo, kind of a YOLO collection of That'd images that yeah. I think maybe they don't even, maybe you'll never even see them in the magazine because they're one-offs. They're like, they're just special moments. And but I've seen them and I like them and I want them to live somewhere. And many people who are great photographers don't have a gallery and that's just like a hobby of theirs. So like we should do one of yours in there. I would love that. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah, because I you. just, it's fun. It's fun to like have these other sort of things that we dabble in. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and bringing, bringing the concept of prints yeah. to life. Like, yeah, yeah, seeing a print is just right. a good print is... Right. Incredible. Exactly. Yeah. I think we've kind of covered some pretty serious ground. Cool. Uh, if you like anything else you want to cover, anything next. I know Matt posted something the other day about a line of bags that you guys are collaborating. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. Like we're just, I don't know, like in this, in this trying to figure out, like I, I would say we like to do collaborations because it's fun to work with people. I don't think we're doing collaborations like because we see them as this huge, um, uh, it's not like the big revenue model. Right. <laughs> but um, but it is fun to like talk to people who are bag designers, like we're doing something with uh, J.W. Holm, and they were like, let's do just like a little kind of holiday collab with you guys where you edit our line and, and, and kind of come in with like different colorways and like we're going to do, um, Matt will call it, um, to his followers a Negroni tote and I'll do I'll call it the wine tote Very nice. or the champagne tote uh, even better. whatever <laughs> um, sure. but you know there's like probably 10 pieces in the collection and it was just it's just fun it'll come out I think in um, October I guess something oh, like nice. that but you know my friends at Apollos they they asked me to to do um, oh, yeah. I love this a little uh, bag line and and just really it's just for fun it's not that that's like i like those guys it's fun to do something we're just it's really in like the dabbling stages yes yeah. oh very cool yeah and i guess just the last question when are you, when are you uh hitting the road again or hitting europe or elsewhere yeah i i don't i don't know like i think i really loved the whole spending the whole summer away and then i think the hard, the hard part about when you're traveling that much is you feel like you're the most alive when you're traveling. And I think it's super important to figure out how to keep that energy when you're in, in your, in your like, whatever, it's all your real life, right. but in your, in your daily grind life and you're like where home really is like where you're real laundry machine is where you're not packing to go to that place yeah i think like one of the that what there's like the the kind of good and bad part of instagram is like well it makes you look for beauty it makes you think about like oh i want to do a post about something oh i haven't done a post in a while oh i should share oh like right i gotta continue building this so-called brand or whatever but then it also is like, well, what about like your life just where you are is also beautiful. Right. And it's it's also okay to just like, I don't know, like there's that social anxiety around, oh, do people only like me when I'm in Europe? <laughs> like, 
I don't know. I don't really uh, think that they dig me in California as much (laughs) as they do in Europe. So maybe I should just go to Europe. And it's like, what? This can't be, this cannot be that I'm living my life for Instagram. Like, (laughs) it's so wrong. So, so I think it's, it is an important thing to, um, to just be mindful of that, like, what is your real life? This, this so-called like weird platform that we all benefit from, but like, don't let it rule you. Right. Yeah, that's a great last point to end on, I think. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you doing this with oh, me. I've been looking you. forward it's to this so for a long fun. time, so I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm yeah. so glad we made it happen. Talk. Me too. Okay. Thanks so much. Cool. Thanks.